Yeah, that doesn't look too bad. What about yours? Show me your audio. Can you see it? I'm revealing you... my audio. Ooh, it's so large. You're the, welcome. The audio. <laughs> the way that you present your audio. It's the lighting. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. We're a couple of meat popsicles. I'm Jason. And I'm Blake. <laughs> and we're getting into The Fifth Element. Yeah, it's a bit of a tribute to Bruce Willis. If Unless you're living under a rock at this point, you've heard the news that Bruce Willis has taken a step back from acting right now um, to deal with his health issues. Yeah, he's had a phenomenal career, and everyone, like, he's, like, a well-loved actor, and it sucks that he's retiring for such a um, shitty reason. Like, yeah. it sucks that he's going through that. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of aphasia before all of this news broke, and just reading about it is scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to see it happen to someone that's, like, so big yeah. and um, has had this crazy career, yeah, it's pretty harrowing. Yeah, for sure. Like, at the end of the day, we're all human, so we're all subject to the same illnesses, basically. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that Bruce Willis, with all of the money he's got, is getting the best care possible, which is great. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a scary one. Like any any brain sort of issues or yeah. something that absolutely terrifies me. Yeah, we don't know that much about the brain and so and so he's losing his um speech cognition and mm-hmm. um so he might not be able to understand language anymore or he won't be able to process it. It's pretty scary. I don't yeah. know if that's what we want to lead into with this well, podcast, but yeah, that's what's happening. <laughs> well, we're paying a tribute to Bruce Willis. So we're, we're doing The Fifth Element because we were planning on doing an action movie anyway, and that kind of slots into there. We could have done Die Hard maybe as well, but Jess's argument was, why would you do Die Hard right now? Because it's a Christmas movie, and yeah, I agree with that's, that. That's, <laughs> that's the main argument. Yeah. Anyone, anyone would make that argument, yes. Yeah. It's uh, still a fantastic movie, and you could watch it at any point in the year, but it is a Christmas movie, and I will die on that hill. <laughs> You'll die hard on that hill. <laughs> I will die so hard on that hill. <laughs> I will live for you, or I will die hard on that hill. <laughs> yeah, so we're doing The Fifth Element from 1997. Do you want to talk through plot? Yeah, so in The Fifth Element, we're delving into a campy, futuristic 23rd century world. That is threatened by evil. Ancient aliens return to Earth to save the world, but are attacked and lose the stones needed to power up the fifth element, which is a perfect being that will destroy the evil. Corbin Dallas is a badass former commando turned cab driver who must save the perfect being and the world. He's racing against the evil corporation Zorg, and it's... uh, CEO, I guess, the head guy of Zorg, yeah. and uh, he wants the stones, he's trying to sell it to this pure evil being that will destroy everything, and uh, <laughs> so everything's a little over the top, but very comedic and action-packed. Yeah, and only Bruce Willis has the stones to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it in the plot there, I started chuckling to myself. <laughs> that's fair. I had to make that innuendo. Yeah, and that's kind of like the point of this <laughs> is that he's just over-the-top badass. <laughs> yeah, well, and and that's the movie in a nutshell. It's just over-the-top everything. Um, yeah. Like, everything's just taken to an extreme, turned up to 11. 
like you said, it's the uh, evil is is what we're combating here, and it's literally evil, like yeah. in the most literal sense, like like a planet-sized ball of evil. Yes, there's there's no other description beyond that. We don't really get much lore into what the evil is. It's just it's evil and it's coming. Yeah, and the ancient <laughs> beings have been coming back to Earth every five thousand years to do this again over and over. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the the evil, uh, these sorry, these ancient aliens, they're over the top ancient alien looking, and like they're just huge hulking masses of like futury metal. Yeah. They uh, so we have them being over the top ancient aliens, and then we have the evil guy. He's just like ridiculously dumb evil. Yeah. <laughs> or not the evil guy, just the bad the villain. Zorg. Yeah, Zorg the villain. Yeah, so let's talk characters, because you're segueing into it yeah, anyway. Yeah, So, wh- why don't we start with the the main villain, or the villain, the adjacent to the main villain, because evil is the main villain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Z- Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, or better known <laughs> as Zorg, yeah. uh, in the film, he's, he's like you said, he's, he's almost cartoonish yeah. in his badness. Basically, his whole motive is to just create chaos he loves living in chaos basically yeah we see him ha- fire a million people uh basically just because he only yeah. had to let go of like five hundred thousand to create like- kind of a little bit more <laughs> chaos but he decided to fire an extra five hundred thousand because why not which uh the main character dallas is actually one of the people who's fired yeah it, it's funny because and we'll get into this, I think, when we get to who is this movie for. But the movie it doesn't take itself seriously. Um, the lore is, it's has depth and no depth to it at the yeah. exact same time. But you can't argue that the fact that the movie is, it's got a bit, of, it's fairly tight in the way that references come back and ev- a lot of things are connected really yeah. well throughout the yeah. movie. <laughs> yes, and Zorg is one of those things. <laughs> Just yeah. trying to bring it back to Zorg. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I lost it. I don't know. I lost it probably too. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so Zorg is played by Gary Oldman. And I think Gary Oldman's an actor who kind of flies under the radar a little bit because of how how into a character he gets. You sometimes forget who Gary Oldman is. Yeah, you'll like he's so so much of a chameleon that he just becomes the part and he's usually transformed so much that you can't right. really tell. And this is another example of where he nails that. Yeah. he. Pl- I don't think that anyone else could play the villain the way he played it. Yeah. Uh, and that, for me, is one of the highlights of the film. It's just how cartoonishly evil he is. And just ha- like he looks like he's having fun in- yeah. while he's doing it. Yeah. Um, I have a note on that later, though, in, in Legacy. But... Uh, Gary Oldman, you might know from the Dark Knight series, playing Commissioner Gordon. Uh, he was also in The Road as the main bad guy in there. I distinctly and remember him in that as well. Harry Potter yes. as um, Sirius Black. Yes, exactly. So, and think about how different each of those roles is. Like Sirius Black, he's so into that character. Like, like that's who I have in my mind when you say that. Yeah, yeah. is him. Yeah, when you read the books, it's him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Did I say The Darkest Hour as well? I don't he, think so. Yeah, he's in The Darkest Hour. He plays Winston Churchill, and like he's got like, the yeah, whole yeah, suit yeah. on and everything, completely unrecognizable. I think he won awards for that yeah, as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, fantastic actor. 
I will say that this is maybe my favorite Gary Oldman portrayal. Because just I I don't know I like the cartoonish evilness he's got going on. Yeah, and uh, like I've seen before I watched this, I've seen that character as a meme. Like there's quite a f- this is heavily referenced. I would say I'll talk about that in a bit, but um, his character was just like a perfect campy futuristic villain. Like his hair and his wardrobe and everything. Right. And just the way he talked, it was all just so like mismatched and everyone was kind of like a mashup of whatever they were supposed to be. Yeah. There was a lot of interesting artistic decisions that are made throughout the film, like even right down to the clothing design. That's really Mm. interesting. Yeah. But let's save that for effects and filming. So... Let's go back to Bruce Willis playing Corbin Dallas. So Corbin Dallas is kind of a down-on-his-luck taxi driver. He's he's ex-military. It's kind of alluded to that the reason why he's ex-military is related to maybe his ex-wife. And I think he kind of blames the military for the... Mm breakdown of his relationship with his ex-wife yeah so because he doesn't want to have anything to do with the military at all yeah he he would rather just be a bad taxi driver yeah <laughs> and just barely get by in life like he's he's pretty down kicked to the curb at this point and the way that bruce willis portrays this character is really great because you do get the sense that he's he's just like at the end of his rope but he's also comical in a sense He's oh, what's the what am I looking for? He's like depressed while being funny yeah. somehow. Yeah. Um, like thinking back to when we watched um when Harry met Sally, he's kind of got that Harry kind of vibe to him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. So he he retired six months ago, so maybe that's why he's like dealing with it. Okay, he's like this is just temporary. I'm just being a cab driver for now. Right. Like he'll get back on his feet. I think he still has that optimism, mm-hmm. and that's why he's like depressed but funny about it. Right. And uh, so, yeah, when um, the general comes to get him, he's like, give me a reason why you want me back. And the general's like, three reasons. One, as a member of the elite special forces unit of the Federated Army, you're an expert in use of all major weapons and spacecraft needed for this mission. Two, of all the members of your unit, you're the most highly decorated. And the third, of all the members of your unit, you're the only one left. (laughs) Nice. So, yeah, there's a lot of that well-placed comedy. Everything's well-placed. And that's maybe where the shining points of this film is, is in the placement of some of that humor. So Bruce Willis, we've already talked a little bit about him, but you're going to know him from movies like The Sixth Sense, Pulp Fiction, the Die Hard series. Armageddon. Armageddon, yeah. Bruce Willis, honestly, he's, he's such a big action star at this point in time that... You would almost have to be living under a rock to not know who Bruce Willis yeah, is. Yeah. He's one of my favorite actors, period. The Die Hard series is extremely important to me. Pulp Fiction probably balances around my top five list, mm-hmm. um, depending on when the last time I watched it, because yeah. every time I watched it, it just moves way back up again. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was also in like 12 Monkeys, which is a great sci-fi oh, film. Phenomenal. Underrated, probably, yeah. too. So he's been in a lot of these amazing sci-fi action movies. Yeah, Sin City, Yeah, which is a complete tonal change from everything yeah. that we've talked about. Like that's That stands on its own like pedestal. It, and it, it's like at the top of noir films. Yes. Like, 
we've looked back at his career and he has a lot of highs and a lot of lows Mm -hmm. and it's like a a wave that he's been riding. And so it's, it's nice to see, like go back and see how many huge movies he was in. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I've seen so many of them at this point that it's, it's always fun revisiting an old Bruce Willis movie. And I think he was like the, the eighth most highest paid actor in the world. Probably the 90s. and it was, I think, yeah, I think that was like in like 2015 or something. They said that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So like he's, he's made a huge impact on film. Oh, absolutely. Um, like he's, he's in part of the expendables. So like to be in the expendables yeah, team means yeah. that you are like one of the top action heroes mm-hmm. of, of the last like 40 years, yeah, probably yeah. 50 years. Let's move on to our next character, Lilu. The fifth element. So Lilu is the center of the plot, essentially. She's an ancient being who, together with the other four elements, is supposed to save the world from evil. So Lilu's played by Mila Jovovich. Mila's kind of an interesting actor in that she's kind of cemented herself in these cult classic kind of films or or like the sci-fi genre the she's most known for the resident evil series by a mile like that that has become her series and she's married to the director of that series as well so she's very very close to that series yeah she's she's kind of had a, a really interesting life as well because she's actually ukrainian descent um born in kiev uh, so kind of cool timeliness connection to everything going on. We could pay her a little tribute to Ukraine and give a big old F you to, uh, Russia. Yep. <laughs> uh, big old F you to Putin. But anyway, she also was at one point the highest paid model in the world in the early 2000s. Wow. Yeah. So very, very relevant person. And she plays the role pretty well as well. The writing for Lilu is maybe not the best at times. Uh, so the way I looked at it, she was basically an over the top because everybody's over the top. Yes. she's an over the top like foreigner. She annoyingly doesn't understand humans. Right. So like the her lines are very um just campy. Like you would think that this supreme being would be like a super like peaceful and like intelligent person but she's like a little kid yeah and she's just she's like a tool right like she's a supreme being but like she doesn't really do anything for herself at all like it it basically bruce willis is the like the hero like uh like the guy who's doing all the things basically yeah so yeah uh, maybe that that's maybe one of my critiques of the film is that Mm. lilu is not a very deep character yeah no it would have been cool if um so she's in the fourth kind and the fifth element it would have been great if she was in the sixth sense they could True. have just had like we have our bruce willis connection with yeah that stuff, yeah though. so four five and six yeah so our next character that i want to talk about is vito cornelius cornelius the i want to say leader of the secret order of the priests who know about this evil yeah he's um, connected to the ancient aliens yeah so the ancient aliens we see at the beginning of the movie it's like 300 years before uh the setting of the movie and 
the ancient aliens show back up to the pyramids, which are built to house the uh, the four stones. So we see there the or the order of this um, Cornelius. Right. His, they're almost like priests. Yeah, they are priests. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And and now that you say that too, I never really thought too hard about like the connection to Egypt with the aliens coming. Like they probably this is probably like the oh the aliens built the uh, pyramids yeah, yeah. theory right in yeah, action yeah. in film, which again they went like over the top and used the pyramids and like yeah 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 <laughs> which I mean that crops up in film here and there yeah Vito Cornelius is played by Surian Home. And if that name doesn't immediately trigger anything for you, let's talk about his his career. He played Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which? Like Bilbo no, Baggins. No way. Not Frodo, but Bilbo. Yeah, like the, yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Yeah. Complete transformation. Obviously, it was like a few decades after. No, it was... No, that, it's no like it was few like a like few it, years after. Maybe uh, they probably... I, I want to say that they filmed Lord of the Rings in like 1998, which is a year after this was released. Wow. Okay. This movie seems so much older than it really is. Yeah. (laughs) It's like 25 years old. Uh, It's 1997. So yeah, 25. Yeah. Wow. Cool. And he's also in the movie Alien, which is one of my favorite horrors of all time. He plays the android. Hmm. Uh, Have you seen the original Alien? I have, but it's been a bit. Uh, So I don't remember. He is an extremely important um, English actor in film and also in plays. He he was in some really big uh, productions in the UK. So our next character is Ruby Rod, played by Chris Tucker. Um, Ruby Rod is like maybe the most flamboyant character we've seen in cinema ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just plays like so outrageously outrageous yeah, um yeah. It, like the best way i could describe him is think like prince turned up a notch yeah yeah and that's prince turned down the role yeah so uh i think that prince turning down the role probably gave chris tucker a really good idea of where to go with this yes and he ramped it up <laughs> yes yeah and and this is so this is pretty much one of the biggest movies that Chris Tucker is known for as well, um, his portrayal. And he was actually pretty scared about his portrayal because Bruce Willis even said like, "This is gonna ruin your career, man." Like yeah, I don't know yeah. why he agreed to yeah, do this. Yeah, because like right before this, he was like in Friday. Yeah. He's a stand-up comedian. He's a rising stand-up comedian in the 90s. He goes on to do Rush Hour, yeah. which is a very, very popular movie series. And this, he's just like complete transformation in this. Like, you wouldn't put Chris Tucker of what I can picture Chris Tucker as, yeah. as Ruby Rod. But what a what a crazy character, though. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen that his character as a meme a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. It's like, there's a lot of memes from this, but I think it might be because of the generation who watched this when it came out. Kind of like, I don't know, it was just so big for a lot of people. Yeah, it, it's just such a a memorable portrayal that it, it sticks in your mind because of how ridiculously outlandish it is. Yeah. One person that really caught my eye, Tom Lister Jr. Okay. And he he's the president. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I recognize him instantly because he's quite reckon, recognizable to look at. But um, he was in Friday 
as well with Chris Tucker. I've never seen then, Friday of You. Uh, I've it was a long time ago, uh, but okay. yeah. Um, The Dark Knight and Jackie Brown. Right. And he's just like this big, badass black guy with the slight eye thing, and he just looked so familiar that I was like, oh, that's uh, like I've seen him before, and I've seen him in a lot. I feel like. In terms of the the writer and director behind this, this is Luc Besson, who is a French filmmaker. He has a really interesting career, and it's not something that you would connect the dots to necessarily, but nonetheless, I guess his biggest breakout movie was Leon the Professional, mm. um, which also has Gary Oldman involved in it. And that's, that's kind of an interesting movie because there's some controversy over the way that some relationships are portrayed yeah, in that, yeah. um, which is probably not unfair. He also recently did the movie Lucy um, yeah. with Scarlett Johansson, I believe. Yep. But bigger than those, or not even necessarily bigger than those, but bigger to mainstream audiences, he wrote Taken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, that, that surprised me, too. Yeah, I was not expecting that, which is a movie that, while Liam Neeson was already a big actor, it put him in, uh, like, that made him a household name. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. Definitely one of the biggest blockbuster action movies of the 2010s or whenever it came out. I think it was 2010s. Yeah, like, he, again, like, he's kind of like their cultish, like, cult classic movies. Yeah. Like, uh, I've heard of uh, Nikita. Mm-hmm. He's a writer on that. Larry, he wrote that. And, yeah, Leon, the professional. Lucy is kind of in that area because it wasn't that big of a mainstream success i don't think oh uh, yeah it did all it did moderately well but yeah but yeah i haven't seen it though Me so either. what's really interesting about luke Besson's connection to the film is that he actually was the writer of the film and he started writing this as a teenager wow um, he started writing hmm. this when he was 16 it was kind of intended to be a novel just something he was bored in rural france and just wanted something to fill his time. And so he, he dove into this and then years later decided to revisit it and thought, you know, like there, there might be a movie here because he never actually, I don't think he ever actually published the novel. So it's yeah. just kind of his own internal creation. When you look at most movies, especially like sci-fi movies, it's, mm-hmm. it's rare to see original ideas, original IP. Yeah. So he ha- he had this idea as a kid and then turned it into a movie. He didn't like write it before or anything like that. So he just developed this whole world mm-hmm. and that kind of makes fun of sci-fi movies, but is a great one in itself too. Mm-hmm. It's uh yeah, it's it's pretty crazy that he did that. Yeah, and I want to talk as well about the co-writer because he did have some assistance in adapting his own novel and and coming up with the the screenplay, Robert Mark Kamen. And that name didn't stand out to me originally. Mm-hmm. However, he also co-wrote Taken with Basan. He was the writer of the Karate Kid franchise. The original? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. As well as the Transporter series. Great series. I lo- I loved the Transporter yeah, series. Yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty yeah. good movies. There's a lot of great action background going into this film. So I think not only is this a great tribute to Bruce Willis, we were hoping to get a good action movie, and I, I think this fits what we were going for with a good action film. Yeah. 
And on that note, let's talk who this movie is for. If, if you're a fan of Bruce Willis, like I am, this is a must-see. Because this is a, a really great portrayal. He kind of plays a similar character to his character in the Die Hard series. And, is, and he's got that really charming humor as yeah. well that he has in the Die Hard series. Yeah, like... The whole movie, they're kind of trying to make him like this macho guy. Like everything points to his macho ness. Yeah. It's almost like playing, like playing a joke about how macho those types of characters are. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's like looking at his um, diehard character and then ramping it up in this world. Well, while also not taking himself too seriously yeah, either. That's because yeah. you could you could contrast that to like an Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, portrayal. Like, think about Predator, yeah. uh, like, where he's, like, the super macho man, and he's so serious all the time, yeah. whereas, like, this is a lot more of a humble portrayal of the action hero. Yeah. This is all, like I said before, this is also, like, a, a for me, a career high for Gary Oldman, who has just a whole list of career highs, but I really, really enjoy Zorg the character, even though his reasoning, his his yeah. logic behind everything just doesn't really make sense. And it, I mean, this is a movie where you don't think too hard yeah, about yeah. it. <laughs> At any point in time, no. you should not think too hard about it. But I really enjoy it. And again, Mila Jovovich, if you're a fan of her her movies and and the genres that she plays like this is perfectly typecast in what she does and what she does best yeah it's yeah it's a great it's action it's sci-fi it's comedy none of it takes itself seriously right and it's all very fun yeah uh, like i i wrote at one point this movie feels like dune if you gutted like the lore yeah um to the bare bones and then like ramped up the the comedy and like not taking itself seriously aspects yeah and i think i don't know that anybody had done that yet at this point in um film history in like the 90s because there was a lot of serious movies coming out like like even look at another bruce willis like armageddon mm-hmm. there's a lot of good comedy in that but it's not the central character or it's not it's not yeah the central it's more theme. drama yeah it, it's definitely more dramatic but this this is like armageddon flopped they're like flipped. Um, it's like all comedy and then has action elements and everything. Right. Now, this movie does follow Total Recall, which I think had comedy elements to it. I actually have never seen Total Recall. Before. I have. It had some comedy elements, but not. Again, it was like more serious. Yeah, um, and, and probably Arnold's portrayal was a much more serious action yeah, hero yeah. at that point as well. But yeah, there's there's connection there. So if you like that and you haven't seen this, like you could maybe enjoy this. I think if you're a fan of space operas or cyberpunk in general, um, especially because of again how the costumes yeah. are created, it's it's a really interesting look at what the future might bring. Now we as humans are not great at predicting the future, so I I imagine it's not going to be like this, but. It makes you reminisce with to something like Blade Runner yeah. and, and the way the costume and the world is designed. You know what? I think this is more accurate because it's kind of making fun of how all this excess is a little bit comedic. Like how yeah. how crazy um, Chris Tucker's character is. Seems like we could be on that direction because he's just like at the top and just over the top. Right. And he's just so rich that like nothing... Like he's... He controls like everything in, in that 
whole like radio world, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And like the the whole consumerism part of yeah. the movie is really fitting. And and that's a lot of what the movie is actually at its core is is a commentary on humanity. There's some commentary on on war and hate as well. Yeah. Um yeah. Not too serious though. No, never <laughs> yeah. too serious. Like yeah, there it, there's little points here and there of seriousness, but it, it's it's a very silly movie. <laughs> yeah. That's most of who I had for who's going to enjoy this. Like, if if you like cult movies, like cult comedies or cult, like, Classics, 90s movies, yeah. like, you're, you're going to enjoy this one as well. My dad, I, like, I've never talked to him about it, but I think my dad really enjoys this one. Because growing up, I remember this movie being on TV yeah, fairly frequently. Yeah. And I remember he had this on every time it was on TV. Yeah, like if you're if he was flicking through the channels it would, yeah. and it was on, he'd be like, let's watch the rest of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of a movie where I think I probably had seen it. I've probably seen parts of it like a dozen times. But I this is maybe my first time watching it from start to finish in yeah. a long time. And... You know, it, it because of how how flimsy some of the lore is, it's a movie that you can kind of hop into partway through and just kind of enjoy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all about the characters and the silliness and the comedy. Um, not so much the sci-fi lore, like the uh, realism or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. I think if you're a fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I think you would enjoy this as well. It. The humor's kind of there yeah. a bit. To me, this is almost like a Seinfeld situation again. Right. Where there was a lot of things that were kind of original in this movie, and like the comedy fit that time. And now, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy could be as silly and funny and serious and like what it is because of movies like The Fifth Element. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it paves the way for that. Yeah. And so looking back, if you're a fan of that genre and that type of humor, I think you're going to enjoy this. Yeah. In terms of when to watch, um, for me, we watched it about midway through the week and the length of it is just over two hours. So it's kind of bordering on a little lengthy for middle of the week kind mm. of movie. I think it. I think this one could fit into your Friday night, like late it's... pulp kind of film yeah it's a friday night right after dinner i think before you might like settle down and watch a real movie Mm. like a real serious movie but like friday friday night if you um had like kind of a long week and you just want to throw something on that's light and funny and kind of in that sci-fi area yeah it's a good friday night movie i think and you know what? Just thinking as well, because I said that my dad watched this movie a bunch of times too. This is probably also a Sunday afternoon. Lay on the yeah. couch and have like a nice little nap partway through the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you wake up and it's halfway through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched a movie on a Sunday afternoon for a while, but I kind of I kind of miss doing that a little bit. I just don't have time yeah, right now. Yeah. But yeah, my dad might have been on to something there. Yeah. <laughs> Where to watch? It's on Netflix until April 30th, so you've got just under a month now to get to it before it inevitably moves somewhere else. Yeah, uh, I don't know where. Do. But yeah, I think you and I are going to maybe have conflicting arguments about whether or not you should watch it or not. It's so hard because I like we both love movies so much yeah. that there are other movies that I would recommend above it, but it does fit a certain niche that it's at the top of. Right. Do you so, want to talk about that before we get into the spoiler stuff and say, like, 
because we've talked about who this i guess we've already talked about who this movie is for yeah but let's talk about like whether or not we slap a recommendation on it because i think you're right i think this does fit a niche type of person to watch this Although I will say that Jess did enjoy it with me. Like at the end, she kind of laughed and went, that was a silly movie. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. That's Annabelle's reaction too. like, she, yeah, like it wasn't, it wasn't a phenomenal, like you'll remember it forever movie, but you'll remember parts of it that were funny and portrayals. And the characters, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, it's, it fits somewhere in between good and great. But for me, it's closer to just good. Right. And that's fair. And like, I could probably be okay with that as well, because I'm a big fan of the sci-fi genre. And like, you're not going to walk out of this movie like you walked out of The Last Jedi, necessarily, like you got punched in the gut. Yeah. But it's a very different look on what the sci-fi genre has done in the past. And that's actually something that Basson was going for when he created the film he actually specifically went out of his way to say I want like I want bright lit up like big rooms big set pieces I don't want like the the sci-fi of the past where it's dark and it's gloomy like the alien series like Star Wars like stuff like that um so he was he was definitely going for a a different look on the sci-fi genre and and I think that's a really I think that's really great to explore different ideas within a genre i saw a very great comparison where this so scream Mm -hmm. was a great horror slasher film but it was basically making fun of all the previous slasher films this is doing that for the action genre yeah the action space opera genre probably probably mix up of the two yeah, so I think that's where it succeeds, and but it's not necessarily something that you have to watch. Like I'm not yeah. gonna put this on like a top ten list unless it's very niche. Yeah, and I would agree with you. Like it's not on it's not a top ten, but it's a movie that, um, I, like I if I'm scrolling through Netflix, like I might I might just turn it on because it's a Bruce Willis movie, and I'm a sucker for Bruce Willis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I enjoy so much his other movies where he's a bit more serious. And like I did enjoy this too, but like I just I'm I'm less into the fun loving type of movie. Yeah. Like this isn't a type of movie that I would generally put on over its more serious like sci-fi cousin. Like the I would rather watch the serious sci-fi. Yeah, and I guess for me it kind of depends on the time of day and what I'm like, what I'm in the mood for. Because uh, like there are times when I prefer watching this over to watching like the original Star Wars movie, just because you have yeah. to be in a certain mindset to be watching. You know this, what? Right? I could watch serious sci-fi all the time, anytime, <laughs> and so this is something that I would put on when I want to watch sci-fi, but I know Annabelle does not. That's a great point. That's that's the like that's my perfect movie for yeah. that situation. So it does fit in somewhere. I think that's a great point because Jess enjoyed this movie a lot as well, and she's not necessarily a big sci-fi person. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I like that recommendation. So let's move into let's oh, cut it off here. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. It's like watching Spaceballs too. Kind yeah. of like that that's so Spaceballs someone someone is who pure loves parody though. Yeah, but someone who loved Spaceballs would also enjoy this. Yes, I sure. agree with that take. Spaceballs is in full parody yeah. whereas 
this movie is not quite parody, but no. it's not quite like the serious sci-fi yeah. space opera that audiences have like really blown yeah. up in the last 10 years, exactly. 15 years at this point in time. Yeah. Okay, let's cut it off now. That was as spoiler-free as we can. If you haven't seen this movie yet, we've kind of already talked about why or where or when you might watch this. If you want to go check it out, go check it out. Or just keep hanging out with us, and we'll, we're going to talk about some other fun stuff related to the movie. Yep, let's do it. All right, cool. Aziz, light! <laughs> that was a great little thing at the beginning of the yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk themes really quickly. At its core... What the film is about is whether mankind is worth saving despite all the horrible things that we put ourselves through, which is a pretty existential debate and also probably pretty timeless yeah. uh, in terms of mankind um, because we're always blowing ourselves the hell up like yeah. right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is always stupid and unnecessary. And there's the evil corporation yeah. that he he makes like so many different gadgets and but also um weapons. Yeah, so. I mean at the end of the day they all kind of relate back to that whereas there's probably a lot of technology that we have today that we have to thank the US military or <laughs> yeah. something like that for, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like that's that's really the biggest theme here. Yeah, and like There's, a lot of like the excess that that all comes with, like when we go to see the um the opera house. Yeah, the capitalist side of things. Yeah. Right. And what's his name? Rod. Ruby Rod. Ruby Rod. He's like, and here we are in the like the greatest opera house in the universe. It's based off the old opera house, but who gives a shit? <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, like he's. I mean, he's. The pinnacle of... Celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and everybody just swooning over him, even though yeah. he's, like, ridiculous and outlandish and, yeah. like, can be kind of a dick. Yeah. It, like, he's just kind of allowed to do whatever he wants. Yeah. He's, like, Justin Bieber of his time. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> there's... I mean, there's the Level Conquers All theme here as yeah. well, which is... A little bit shoehorned in, but it's really yeah. the like the only way that they were could have ended it. I think. Yeah, like they had to do the love connection where Bruce Willis falls in love with Lilu, and his love, like at the end, she's like, "Should I save everyone? I don't even know what love is. I'm just a tool. I'm a like a tool that is being used right now." Yeah, and he's like. I love you. And then she's like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's the summary of the ending. Yeah. Like <laughs> you did how... a really good job of summarizing the ending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's not really too much else really for me wanting to dive into themes. Let's talk effects and filming. Cause this is probably the part that I'm most excited to talk about. Cause there's some really interesting stuff relating to the movie. So Bruce Willis actually took a, a pretty big pay cut up front to star in the film. Huh. He basically, him and Luke Bissau had a meeting because he was up for the movie uh, alongside Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson turned it down. Luke Bissau was like, I don't think I can afford you. Um, and Bruce Willis was like, well, let me read the script. And if I'm interested, we'll make the money thing work out. And he, after a few hours of reading the script, was like, I'm in. I'm really interested in this script. And he was quoted later as saying when they asked him, like, why did you take the pay cut? He said, sometimes I just like to do it because they're fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which is a great how this whole movie is. Yeah. 
And it, like, it's it's great that Bruce Willis can just have fun in film. And that's, I think that's part of the reason that I'm going to miss Bruce Willis is because of like watching some of his portrayals and, and watching how much fun he has in them. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's something that I'm going to miss in, in future film. Ruby Rod was written specifically for Prince, who had turned it down because it was too feminine of a role for him. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy <laughs> to think of from what we kind of know about Prince. Like, he was, uh, he's he's an interesting he's, character. He's an so. enigma yeah, all yeah, on his own. Yeah. We've already talked about the clothing desi- design a little bit, and I, I want to talk about that because the person that they brought in, his name was uh, Jean-Paul Gautier? Gautier? Gautier who is a very famous fashion designer. Like he designed every piece of clothing in the film. Wow. Um, and he spent like, apparently he spent a lot of detail. Like there was something like 500 extras in the film. And he specifically like checked over all of the clothing himself hmm. personally. Wow. For all of that. Very, very involved in that. And I think that adds a lot to the film. In my opinion, um, there's some really cool outfits yeah. throughout the film. The divine language, so the language that Lilu is speaking at the beginning and then kind of spruced out, yeah, throughout, uh, was something that Bissau and uh, Milo wrote together. Hmm. They ended up with about 400 words in the divine language, and they could hold a conversation between the two of them. Wow. In it. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Filming. Huh. Quite um, committed then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very committed. Very committed if you know about the history of what happened between the two of them on, on set. Oh, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, I'll talk about that really quickly. It's uh, I don't necessarily want to get into this all the time, but it's kind of interesting is that uh, at the time, Luc Besson was together with the Blue Alien, the opera singer. Yeah, yeah. And, and then while they were filming this movie, he left her for Mila. Wow. <laughs> and they got married and then divorced after like two years. Yeah, I looked at his like marriage history. He's got like six ex-wives and like four kids with like interspersed <laughs> yeah well that's that's having wealth and creativity yeah for you. <laughs> and and he's french yeah so uh i did see what like that mean? <laughs> the french are very sexual <laughs> that's kind of like like that's kind of how he made lilu like she was almost naked throughout the whole movie yeah and like the futuristic clothing and everything and the the high life and everything, everyone was very sexualized. Yes. It's like a, it's over the top sexuality throughout mm-hmm. a lot of the elements of the movie. So you could possibly say that that's just the French inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. And this is actually considered a French film because it was, it was produced outside of Hollywood in that sense. Um, it's like Luc Besson. At that point in time, it was actually the largest foreign film, the highest budget. Ever, hmm. wow. which is kind of cool. Cool little milestone. Uh, the visual effects director, Mark Stetson, mm-hmm. he's pretty huge. He's, he did The Fifth Element, Lord of the Rings, he was also involved in. Really? Yeah, and uh, Superman Returns. There um, you go, two connections to The Lord of the Rings now. So yeah, if yeah. you like The Lord of the Rings, I guess you will like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and talking special effects... The the main hall battle scene, kind of near to the end of the film, the explosions were real inside of that room, um, which was the largest indoor explosions for a film at that time, hmm. and it was actually like pretty dangerous. Yeah. Um, they almost burnt the whole thing down. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, pretty wild. Like a lot of pyrotechnics went into that. Uh, a lot of choreography. So. 
that that scene alone is is worth watching for film history. Yeah, and like the sets were amazing overall yeah. Oh, yeah. and like everything. The, so. the sets and design and everything. Yeah. Besson brought in a lot of special uh, specialists, like you were just mm. saying with the special effects there we've got we've already talked about the fashion designer yeah um he had two comic book creators in as well making uh set design choices and they were the comic book writers that Bissau actually was a big fan of as a teenager huh. so that it this itself was inspired by their works and hmm. then they came on to help yeah design this because as well. it was so inspired and yeah. like inspiring yeah that's pretty cool the visual effects the yeah just this mark stetson guy like he did a lot of miniatures which are big for like effects overall in film he did like Waterworld, coneheads do you remember coneheads yeah <laughs> um batman returns honey i blew up the kid so hmm. there's some honey i shrunk the kid rick moranis yeah rick moranis Cool. Edward Scissorhands. I love finding the connections between our old episodes. Yeah, yeah. Total <laughs> Recall. This guy was in a lot. Wow. Er, uh, he he involved, involved in, a in a lot. Escape from New York. Oh! Yeah. I love that was, Escape from New York. That was like his second credited special effects thing oh, in 1981. That's such a good movie. Yeah. I love Escape from New York. We should do it next. Yeah. <laughs> the, the New York scenes with all the cars and everything was was a really interesting combination of all of the different special effects that they had at that yeah, time in the 90s yeah. like this is the time period in the 90s where i would say where i generally say maybe avoid the special effects heavy films yeah. because this That's is a really the awkward beginning time of cgi, CGI. Yeah. yeah exactly it's a really <laughs> we synced up there time. so much What's we, bo- we yeah. both said cgi at the exact same time <laughs> it was perfect nice yeah <laughs> I will say, though, for this film, for the most part, it's not too bad. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, it, it, I, and I think it's the combination of using everything together rather than just relying on the crutch of CGI, as mm. we see in other films in this era and going into the early to mid-2000s. Yeah, like, there there are some visual effects issues, like the way the ancient aliens move. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're, they're kind of big and clunky and... Um, not perfect right. but it's kind of reminiscent of the original like uh like a original doctor of, who kind of alien yeah yeah i was thinking just the way um the aliens in star trek or sorry star wars moved before mm-hmm. the whole cgi rerun yeah. re-edit right clunky and they like move strangely but besides that with everything else that they did so well like the sets and everything mm-hmm. it isn't that noticeable and it's not taking itself too seriously so yeah and yeah. that that's the other thing too like and and they did spend a lot of time like like i said it was kind of the combination of their cgi there was some live action involved there and then there was also scale models the models were all the buildings um and they actually put a lot of time and effort into getting those buildings looking like legitimate buildings in new york in the 2200s it was a production team of 80 people spending five months to build all of that that set piece so yeah that's pretty wild like and like they were like you know making those city blocks they were like adding like furniture and stuff so that you could see them while they were driving by places pretty wild yeah i think this was just a very great collaborative like the yes. everything everyone was collaborating with the best of the best at all of those things mm-hmm. that collaborative nature really nailed 
down everything, I think. Yeah, and everybody was out having fun. Like, there, yeah. this wasn't a movie where anybody was taking things seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where you're going to like this film at the end of the day. And this is something that I didn't say before, but I did want to say when we were talking about who should watch this or who, who might enjoy this, is you can't go into this movie expecting a serious sci-fi film yeah, like yeah. you're just not gonna have a good time if you go into that and i've definitely gone into this film in the past with that mindset and not enjoyed it at that time as much as i did when jess and i watched it together because going mm. in this time i knew that it was kind of a silly movie yeah yeah and that's where you're gonna enjoy it more is if you go in with that understanding yeah i think because i went in blind on this one or like besides the pop culture things that I know. Right. Um, I think that's where I didn't fully get into it, but I yeah. could see on a rerun that I might. Uh, this is a cool quote from Mark Stetson about how the, like the visual effects kind of collaborative nature. And so I'll just get into that. Sure. Um, he was talking about Luke Besson and he said he has a pretty unusual style, especially then if you looked at his films, then he explained to me, you know, Mark, I don't want to do those fancy panning around and seeing the whole world shots. I'd mu much rather set a camera looking down a street, have a cab rush towards me and cut as it passes by, then cut to a reverse of it passing by and construct my film that way. So there's a lot of single centered one point perspective shots. Hmm. So that that's kind of what they based it all around so that you feel more in the movie and right. not not like watching the world. You're in the world. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting perspective because, yeah, it's not like somewhere like The Matrix where we're, like, you know, we're moving through things and whipping around and stuff. Yeah, I, like that. It's that perspective of, like, I'm standing here and I'm watching the cab go by and then maybe I'm over here now and I'm watching it from yeah. this perspective. That's interesting. Other Hollywood person who appears in the film, not in in voice mm. at the beginning of the film when bruce willis is talking to finger on the phone about the taxi and yeah. getting the taxi back that was vin diesel no way yeah <laughs> uncredited Shit. that was vin diesel oh that's crazy yeah i have i love vin diesel too and he, <laughs> like vin diesel fits in with bruce willis as like they're kind they're of kind of adjacent they're two bald action yeah heroes. and then jason <laughs> statham like if you if, right which they're all kind of connected through different movies but yeah the last point that I wanted to touch on was the fact that Bruce Willis and Gary Oldman are never really on screen together, yes. which is a really cool way to frame a film where the main hero and the main villain are never together. Yeah, they don't meet. No. I like, don't, do they even know about each other, really? Technically, probably not. Yeah, because he knows the... Um, Sorg is using henchmen that are just horrible at their jobs they're very dumb creatures and they're very um they're over the top henchmen yeah zorg uses them to try to mess up everything that bruce willis is doing but bruce willis knows that the it's the um these aliens that are causing all the problems yeah and he fights them multiple times but he doesn't know why or who's controlling yeah. them yeah, and they're not even control being controlled by like uh, Zorg. Zorg's like screwed them over in a business yeah, deal earlier. Yeah. Um, so they're 
trying like they're doing their own thing with the stones and trying to get back at Zorg. Yeah. Zorg's trying to get the stones for himself. Has no idea that Bruce Willis is involved at all. Nobody yeah. knows that that Lilu is the fifth element, really. Like yeah, she's like just others. around. Yeah, like, yeah. Um like the the US military doesn't really understand that. The No, the US military recreated her. Yeah, but they and didn't then know she, she was the fifth element, though. No, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, they just knew that she was some kind of alien, perfect th- being. Yeah, they knew she was an alien with no, like. They did know because they consulted they know- with the um, the priest after they tried blowing up the evil planet, the evil evil. <laughs> they, yeah, but they, they didn't know like- that she specifically was the fifth element because. She, yeah. like, they made her, and she, they were like, whoa, like, all of this DNA is crazy and everything. Yeah, yeah. So we can't wait to meet this guy. Yes. Yeah. Like, and understand what was happening at this point in time. But, yeah, anyway, like, Bruce Willis, yeah, Bruce Willis has no idea that Zorg is a person who is also going for the stones. Yeah, like, has yeah. no idea that this is happening. It's, it's kind of adjacent to... And it, it makes me think back to like Indiana Jones, the first Indiana Jones movie, where uh, Indiana Jones is actually not crucial to the plot himself and the whole path of the story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, like it, it's adjacent to that. They're not the same, but yeah. it makes me think back to something like that. Yeah, I see what you mean. Okay, so let's talk score next because there's some really interesting mashups here, and and something else to note. It's something that might tickle your brain a little bit is that over 90% of the film has some sort of music or ambiance playing hmm. throughout it. And that's something that Luke Besson specifically is known for having a lot of music and, and trying to add a lot of tone through his, his musical choices. Hmm. That's another thing that is interesting about the film is because it's a really cool mashup of genres throughout. And that's all composed by Eric Serra, who's a French composer, obviously, who also is a frequent collaborator with Besson. He was also involved with uh, Leon the Professional and Lucy. Hmm. Okay. So he was kind of looking for all of those, those different shifts involved in the, the movie. There's some reggae. There's some like 90s kind of tone yeah, vibes. Yeah. The orchestral music, uh, specifically the opera scene. We haven't talked too much about the opera scene yet, but I did want to talk about that a little bit because there is some interesting stuff going on with that scene. The tone of the music is shifting and evolving with where the plot is going okay. through that scene, which is really cool. Like when she starts doing like the, ah, yeah, like, yeah. like, like that's when the, that's when the action's starting to pick up and like, it's a, it's a really cool flow yeah. basically between the music and what's going on in the film. <laughs> As a side note, Bruce Willis and the rest of the audience weren't shown beforehand what the opera singer was going to look like coming okay. out. Huh. So all of their reactions, like Bruce Willis's reaction of like genuine surprise is like Real. actually genuine. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah. So like this isn't a film that has a score that you're going to remember necessarily, but I think it does add a lot to the film. Yeah. it's There's not any like... It's not like a Star Wars theme song. It doesn't have any theme song, really. It's just well done in the background. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So let's move into Legacy. Yeah. Because I got, I got some pretty interesting stuff to talk about here. 
this film, when it came out, was extremely polarizing. You were basically in two camps. You either thought this was one of the best movies of 1997 or one of the worst. Huh. And that's shown even in the awards. Like, it was it was nominated, I believe, for uh, an Academy Awards for Best Sound Editing. Hmm. And also ended up on the Razzies for one of the worst movies of 97. Okay. You were either, as a critic, you were either in one of two camps. You either yeah. absolutely loved it or you hated it and didn't understand it. Interesting enough, like Roger Ebert at that time was like, I enjoyed it for what it was and I thought it was really fun, but it's not a good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is kind of an interesting take for yeah, a, a really famous movie critic. I could see how like a f- big movie critic would like he, that. That's a pretty good review of this uh-huh. um, from a huge critic. Like he's trying to watch things kind of for what they are. Yeah. But also just wants to give his like a valid opinion. So yeah, it's not a good movie, but it's gr- it's it's a great watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that there and we'll get into other movies I think that fit into that kind of niche because I think that Roadhouse very much fits into that niche of not a good movie. Had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. For for Mila, this is her breakout role, and this is kind of what send her career trajectory up gary oldman we we talked about him previously and and how much i enjoy his portrayal in the film Mm -hmm. this is one of the least favorite movies he's ever done he hates this movie Hmm. he said it's it basically he said it was too wacky for his taste yeah he was doing it as a favor for luke basaw who helped get uh one of his first movies produced and so he was like yeah like i'll do this movie whatever kind of thing and it just not Gary Oldman style. No, it makes sense because it wasn't like Zorg's motivations were very shallow. Yes. And he yeah. plays roles where their motivations are so deep. Like he really understands like what it is like to be the character that he's becoming. Right. So that makes sense why he didn't enjoy doing that. Yeah, that's a that's a great point to make that you definitely don't want to look under the surface this one. Yeah. This is like that movie that I watched on Amazon Prime with Chris Pratt where it was like, I had fun. Mm. This is not a good movie, but you just it's a sci-fi that you just take it for what it is at face value. Do not think about it any further than that. Yeah, yeah. This is like a, a comedy for adults, but it's almost a kid's movie at the same time. It's like yeah. somewhere... It's like confused in in between. Well, it was written by a teenager, right? So I think that's a probably a fair assessment. Yeah. In terms of, I guess, stuff that happened subsequent to this film, Shrek Two has the scene with the floating fast food is basically like kind of like framed exactly the same as Bruce Willis eating the food. Oh, that's pretty fun. Yeah, cool. I I really liked that actually, and like all the things in Bruce Willis's apartment. Yeah. Like, he had a cool apartment, the way everything, like, folded. Uh, very dystopian, like, yeah. depressing apartment. Yeah, but... and, like, he all, I thought he actually killed the general and his, um... <laughs> in the freezer? Yeah. That's, that's a point where you have to, like, at that point in time, you have to be like, okay, this movie is not serious, yeah, like, yeah. at all. Yeah, but yeah, I really liked that floating, um... The little Chinese, like, yeah, restaurant yeah. fast food thing. Yeah, that was cool. Like Chris Tucker's uh, character is still used in memes, and the main characters in this, I knew from memes and like internet culture, yeah, not from 
anything else really. Like I didn't, I don't see too much uh, recreations of scenes or like references really. No one's really referencing it that much in like a big way that's noticeable the way like Soylent Green is people right. is referenced. It's not like a, that it's kind because of, of the shallowness to the lore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think that's where like all the memes and the characters and like the, the outfits and their reactions, their reactions turn yeah. into gifts. Yes. And those are used as reaction gifts. So that's where like the one, there's a Bruce Willis nodding in like, a, he's like, Oh yeah. Like in a, I don't know how to describe it, but it, it fits a certain thing perfectly. Yeah, it's when, like, the really, like, drugged-up dude does not understand what Bruce Willis is trying to get him to throw him, like, throw him the gun, he throws, like, the two, like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> balls, yeah. the other balls. And he's like, oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's where that scene is from. Okay, yeah. yeah. So that's that's a really good um, little gif meme that's used heavily still today. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get into our personal reviews, the partner factor. I think we've probably discussed this enough here, here and there. Like neither of us absolutely love this movie. I think I enjoyed it this time more than you because I've yeah. seen it here and there. Like this is the first time I've probably watched it from start to finish. I've seen parts of it here and there so much from my teenage years yeah. watching it on TV. It's something that I, I, I haven't watched in a really long time or even watched start to finish ever, I think. But I, I had a lot of fun with it, and I, I went into it with the mindset of this is not going to be a serious movie. I don't have to think too hard. Mm. Especially, uh, like, when when they start talking about evil right at the beginning, your brain is going to go one of two places. It's going to go, this is stupid. They're literally just talking about evil with yeah. a capital E. Yeah. Or you have to think, like, I don't have to think too hard about this yeah. one. Let's just have fun and enjoy the movie. Yeah. And you got it. You got to go the other, the second route. Yeah. Or you're not going to have fun. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly it. You know what? I, I went into it open, but if you didn't go into it intentionally open to whatever was going to happen, mm-hmm. then you might fall into this. This is stupid. And like, go watch something more serious or more just like straight comedy. I don't know. But, um, yeah, like I, I liked it, didn't love it. Annabelle was higher on it than you were, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, like she was watching it in like the perfect mindset. And mm. it was like a Friday night and we were tired from the week. It was just a fun thing to enjoy and like the characters were like a little crazy. We weren't like poking holes in the plot or like trying to think about anything. Right. We were just like, ah, like we were just laughing along with it. Yeah. Once I got more into... um. Like I, I had to take a second and be like, okay, now I understand why, like what this movie is. I'll enjoy it in that way. And then I did like overall it was, yeah, it was good. Have you ever seen Flash Gordon? No, I've seen references to it, but I haven't actually watched it. It's an awful, awful movie that becomes really funny once your brain checks out. Yeah. It's Uh, it's referencing Ted all the time. Yeah. That movie. It's, it's. Something that we might have to do sometime as yeah. like going in knowing it's a bad movie yeah. because this kind of almost harkens back to something like that where this movie is is almost mocking that because mm. Flash Gordon takes itself very seriously yeah, yeah. while also being god awful. Mm. Um, whereas this does not take itself seriously at all and it becomes enjoyable because of that. Whereas Flash Gordon becomes enjoyable because of how serious it's taken itself. Yeah, yeah. Just on that vein of thought or 
train of thought. Sorry. Um, when you're looking at like comedy, there's there's so many different ways you can go, but having someone like a character like Michael Scott in the office who he's, he takes himself seriously, but is just so ridiculous. Right. It's like the opposite of what Bruce Willis did where he, he isn't super serious about it. And like, Mm -hmm. it's still funny. It's like the writing is good. I don't know. Overall, like it's the portrayals. I think, I think it's a little bit, the writing and a lot of the portrayals. Yeah. Yeah. Like those reactions, the, yeah, they played it very well. Let's. So, do we want to talk our favorite scenes or quotes before we wrap things up? I don't have too much else to talk about. So. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the explosion scene is is pretty great in the the big room where all everything's blown up. Yeah, um, you get some of Bruce Willis being a badass and funny, and you have um, Chris Tucker in there being like his ridiculous self yeah i love i love when they're in the opera part and like chris tucker is narrating everything yes. happening yeah yeah that was great that was we're, good we're comedy die. We're all die. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then again when bruce willis just comes out like guns blaze everything you're yeah. like yeah like yeah. here we go and then uh in that scene where he comes out guns blazing he's uh right before he goes around the corner he's like we should send in someone to negotiate and there's like a really nervous like security guard there and he's like i can't negotiate and he's like okay i'll go and then he's like we're sending someone in to negotiate and then he just comes around the corner and blows the alien's head off yeah and yeah yeah that was awesome yeah <laughs> that actually i was reading there's another bruce willis movie that comes out a couple years after this that has that exact same sequence Oh, so okay. It was in Taken. They say they're they're going to send somebody in to negotiate. He go walks oh, in and yeah. shoots somebody in the head. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's yeah, that's what that's where it, that's where the connection is there. Yeah. Which obviously Taken is connected to this movie through Luke Besson. So yeah. No, it's another interesting connection with Luke Besson is um, Gary Zoldman's characters in um, Leon the Professional and in the fifth element die in almost identical ways. Yeah. And that's a good scene too, where yeah. you get uh, Zord going back because he's pissed because he doesn't have the stones. Yeah. And he's like, if you're going to do something, you have to do it yourself. Or yeah. yeah. And then he goes back and he goes back knowing that his bomb is like moments away, not in really any rush either. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is fun. He gets back with five seconds left, turns it off and then he's looking for the stones and he realizes that there's one alien left alive. The alien sees him and lights off yeah. their own bomb. Yeah. That was a pretty good end yeah. to yeah, that, that was character. Good. I, I like the scenes with Co- like uh, Corbin Dallas in his taxi where like, like Lilu comes crashing in and he's just like, all right, this is what we're doing now. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, the police are like right beside the taxi and they're, they're like, we're coming in, we're going to do everything. And he just like, and he just has that change of heart last minute. And yeah. then we get the cool car chase scene. That, that was a really fun scene. Yeah. Lilu's like splayed on the yeah. like back the divider. Thing. Yeah. Divider yeah. thing. Like <laughs> the, cops who are chasing him in that scene they are at a mcdonald's which is like yes super futuristic kind of yeah very cool like again corporate like yeah yeah and then um near the end of the chase scene they get crushed by a mcdonald's uh yeah they drive into the mcdonald's truck (laughs) yeah yeah Oh, I really liked the beginning um when we're introduced to corbin dallas and there's someone with a he looks through the peephole. Someone knocks on his door. He looks through the peephole, and he just sees his 
like his hallway. Right. But there's a guy standing there with a picture like yeah, printed and like on his on a hat so that it looks exactly like it. Yeah. And then um yeah, just his whole like that character was a little like he was pretty funny, very classic nineties kind of funny. Yeah. Where um and he's like, give me the cash. Give me the cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, at that point in time, you got to be thinking like, this movie is not taking itself seriously. Yeah, yeah. I should not take this movie seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, that's a, a really wacky moment. And um, even right away when um, like you're in the pyramid and they're like, oh, there's a fifth element. It's like within the first minute of the movie, you know what the fifth element is like yeah. in a corny-ish way. Yeah. And and the whole thing with Aziz Light and um what's his name? The nine oh two one oh guy? Luke Perry? Yeah, Luke Perry. He's like writing down he's checking off every time the guy says Aziz Light. <laughs> yeah. Just like a good little bit of comedy there. Yeah. The part where he, he kisses her, like right away. Um Yes. And then she says in the divine language, Yeah. Um never again without my permission. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, ah, yep, shouldn't have done it. Yeah, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> and then the like a line that was very favored at the time from what I read was the whole like Lilu eating the chicken. She's like, chicken good. Like she's learning English. Right. Like she puts in like it's like, like a, a very Jetson style yeah, yeah. food creation, like microwave. Yeah, and then like a full chicken pops out yeah. all cooked. Yeah. I mean, if I was recreated from the hand up, I'd probably be a little hungry, too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, another stuttering humor was used at a certain point. I I wrote it, I think it was the priest, and he's just like, it's a, it's a, it's a, like, it's just another connection a little bit to our last. um, Right. So I wrote actually disappointed. Yes, just that came up in this. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that so too. So I wasn't sure if that was fully intentional. I meant to look that up, but I didn't find anything on it specifically. Yeah, I didn't see anything either. But so there yeah. might have been a little nod to a, a fish named Wanda, which is also like a foreign film technically too. So there, yeah, Luke Besson might have enjoyed that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you classified as human? Negative. I am a meat popsicle. Yeah, that is a huge line from that time too. That's such a funny line. Yeah, and I th- I want to say like I, meat popsicle has been like humans as a meat popsicle. I, I don't know if that was the first time it, it was it created in this because I've heard that so many times. I want to say yes. Uh, and and you and I being kids of the nineties like probably don't have much more before that yeah. so like we just think of it as always being around but it was yeah. probably it was probably that that brought around yeah. that chris tucker like trying to um hook up with the the stewardess the yeah flight stewardess yeah and she's like trying to say no and he's like hey, that whole scene was pretty funny i don't remember like the details really. yeah i don't remember the lies because that was that was one of those scenes where like we're seeing all the different perspectives of what's happening yeah. and then like they're happening that kind of goes back to the sex scene in fish called wanda too where we have like yeah. a couple of different things happening and it's like it's getting bigger and bigger to the climax of yeah. the scene yeah yeah so and the, the music i think was also building yeah. at that point and then yeah all these different things yeah his mom oh his mom was just like in uh what's it called in 
North by Northwest. She was the worst yes. version of that mom. She yes. was the irritating version of that mom. Exactly. Like the the taken too far or like the over the top mom. So once she talked to the president at the end, <laughs> yeah. she's like That was a great way to end it. Yeah, yeah. She the president gets her on the phone and he's like, Is this Corbin Dallas? Yeah. Is this Mrs. Dallas or whatever? Yeah. And um she's like don't even try and trick me. The president is an idiot and you don't sound like an idiot. And then she's like, like, if you're going to lie to me, I might as well just go, um, saran wrap myself to my bed and pretend my, um, kid is smothering me. Cause she's like, he's basically completely distanced her. He doesn't like call her back or do Which anything. is fair because she sounds like the worst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to tell how old his character is supposed to be just cause it's him. And it's the 90s. And, and he's balding. And he's balding. He's always been balding. Yeah. How old, how old was he? 97 was 25 years ago, so he would have been 42. Really? Okay, yeah. yeah. I would say that he looked older and younger than Cary Grant, even though Cary Grant was older North by Northwest. Yeah, Cary yeah. Grant just has a decadence about him. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Bruce Willis, I think it's the balding thing. The balding he's, thing makes you, like, not easy days. He's always portraying, like, not blue-collar, but kind of. Like, he's, like, yeah. the blue-collar tough guy who's not super jacked or anything, and he's not, like, super refined. He's never refined, really. No, never. He's always, uh, like, the character he was in... Um, Die Hard. Die Hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's like, he, he's, he, life's knocked him down a few pegs yeah. at this point. Like, he, he's kind of accepted where he's at in his life, and then big disruptions happen. Yeah. I think that's most of the big funny parts that I, like, he, it's kind of a movie where you have to watch it to get it. Yeah. But it's not going to be for everyone. I don't know, I think that's probably a good spot to wrap it up. Like, this isn't my favorite Bruce Willis movie by any means, um, but it's a good Bruce Willis portrayal like what do you think your favorite bruce willis movie is so here's the thing for me pulp fiction is my favorite movie that has bruce willis in it but i think i revert to die hard probably for my favorite bruce Willis movie because it's just such a good movie it is um Um, and and bruce willis isn't the main character of pulp fiction yeah yeah that's definitely samuel jackson john travolta film yeah I won't get into that, like, the, how who's the main character of that. Like, there's three stories going on. Yeah. So Bruce Willis is one of the main characters. But anyway. Yeah, he is. It, it isn't like, his pure, like, purely his movie, like, the way... Arm- I think it's Samuel Jackson's movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and, and again, John Travolta, because John Travolta's in multiple stories. He's in yeah. three of them, I think. Is he in all three? Yeah, he's in three. It, they all connect, but... Yeah, because he's in... He's the only one in the story with... Um, What's her name? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, I think I think I go favorite Bruce Willis, Willis movies. I go Die Hard, then I go Pulp Fiction because it's less yeah. his movie. This one probably makes. I liked Armageddon ten. quite a bit. Like yeah. it, it was pretty fun. I would I would put Twelve Monkeys over that. I think. Yeah, Twelve Monkeys is one that like I. It's such a '90s movie, like the feel of it. Yeah. And I just loved watching that, especially with Brad Pitt. Like, it's yeah. a great Brad Pitt portrayal as yeah, well. Yeah. I think we've paid a pretty good tribute to Bruce Willis here. We're definitely going to do more Bruce Willis movies on this podcast because yeah. I alone am a huge Bruce Willis fan. So and I'm like, I'm everyone, be for like, he's a he, he was at the top in the 90s at certain points. Yeah. 
and he was a big part of the 80s and 90s, and he kept his career going. It's like he's known about this aphasia growing for the past few years, and he was just pumping out as many movies as he could to, like, just to... Maybe he was trying to, like, keep his mind strong, and but he couldn't focus on, like, major roles. Yeah, I or, really don't know. It'd be, um, it'd be interesting to know what his motive was behind putting out all the direct... Probably just videos. money, but... <laughs> which is, like, valid. If I knew that in, like, 10 years I was uh, going to be no longer able to be in movies, yeah, I would get in as many as I can just to make, like... Especially for someone who talked about how much he enjoyed movies in the past. Like, he did yeah. this movie purely for fun. Yeah, yeah. Like, he wasn't expecting to make any money. He did have a deal to get part of the the money from that the movie made, yeah. which is a, a pretty big risk for a movie with a $90 million budget already. Yeah. Um, that's It's pretty out there as well, very polarizing. So he was taking a big risk on, on this one. It but. did make... What was it? Two hundred and seventy million yeah, something or something like that. Like that? But well yeah. over its budget. Yeah, and um, his over his career, he, like his movies were like a few billion. Oh yeah, brought and in a few billion. I I imagine the syndication for the Die Hard series alone makes him a million dollars or more a year. Yeah. So, I think that's where I want to end things. Yeah. Um, so our next April movie is an animation film. I'm really excited about doing an older animation film. And you and I need to iron out which one we want to do. I'm kind of looking at the list now. You, we, I think we've kind of narrowed it down between a few. Mm. Princess Monarchy, the Iron Giant, Ooh. and Rotel Dorado. I think we're the three big ones that we are talking about. Mm. Personally, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more persuaded towards the Iron Giant, I think. I feel like it is a movie that a lot of millennials have watched. Like, a lot of millennials have watched and loved. So, maybe it would be really good for either older viewers who uh-huh. didn't didn't necessarily watch it, or the youngest of, the, of our listeners yeah. of the generation Z and A or whatever, Gen Z and... Yeah, a little bit of a nostalgia hit. Wait, Gen A is now. Uh, I don't... Anyways, yeah, it's a nostalgia hit. So, like... I would like to watch it like in a critical way. So, so I don't think I've ever seen it from start to finish. Mm. Um, and if I had, I don't think I enjoyed it as a kid because I don't think I understood it. And I think that, I think that it's something that it actually might hold up better as an adult than as a child. Yeah, I'm also really interested in the Princess Mononiki or whatever, mm-hmm. Mon- Mononeke. But uh, is is that Studio Ghibli? Yes. Yeah, because I've seen, I think, two Studio Ghibli, and they're great. I watched Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away. Yeah, I really want to see Spirited Away at some point. It's so interesting. It's so different. It's a crazy area of film. Hmm. It's interesting. I like I like it. I'm not, like, super into them, mm-hmm. but being introduced into, like, Japanese or um, like that style of animation, right? Anime, I guess, <laughs> almost. Like it, it's it's in that realm. Yeah, it's anime. So yeah, I, think. I, I don't know what what qualifies as anime. I guess we might we might have to learn and watch Mononiki or whatever. Yep. We uh, yeah. So I I guess we haven't we haven't finalized it yet. So if you have any thoughts, let us know in the comments, and we'll we'll make our decision maybe based on that. Yeah, that'd be um, great if. Uh, 
yeah. someone other than your mom could uh, help us out with that. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she has some good recommendations, though. Yeah, we'll I know see. she listens, though. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think that's it. So this is coming out right before the Easter long weekend. So hope you have a great weekend, and we'll uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. Yeah.